As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Graceful Atheist Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Graceful Atheist Podcast. My name is David, and I am trying to be the Graceful Atheist. Please consider joining us in the private Facebook group, Deconversion Anonymous. We are trying to provide a safe place to land for those people who are questioning, deconstructing, deconverting, or long since on the other side. You can find that at facebook.com slash groups slash deconversion. Special thanks to Mike T for editing today's show. On to today's show. My guest today is Heather Wells. Heather has written a book entitled Trustworthy, A Journey from American Christianity to Freedom. Heather tells the harrowing story of getting married early due to purity culture in what was ultimately a fairly loveless marriage. She struggled with poverty as well as being a part of a very cultish church in Texas, but it is ultimately a story of hope. It is her struggle to come out of that by educating herself, building a career, and finding actual love and partnership. Here is Heather Wells to tell her story. Heather Wells, welcome to the Graceful Atheist Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Heather, you have written a memoir called Trustworthy, A Journey from American Christianity to Freedom. Mm -hmm. And uh, without giving it away, I will just say this is a harrowing tale. <laughs> it's funny to hear that because when, when you've lived it, you assume that your own life is ordinary and it's not interesting to anyone else. But um, several people have, you know, expressed a lot of interest in my story which is, yeah. to me, baffling because it was my life. I lived it, right? <laughs> yes. Well, uh, we often uh, you know, begin with what, what your religious tradition was growing up. So we'll, we'll start there, and then basically you'll be telling the story that is the book. And so let's begin with what was your life like as far as uh, faith was concerned when you were younger? 
So I was uh, born into a Christian family. My father was Church of Christ, uh, mm -hmm. originally non-instrumental, but that evolved over time. Um, we moved around a lot because he was in the army. Okay. And um, so I didn't really have a place that I would call my hometown, so to speak. Um, when we moved from Louisiana to New York, when I was uh, about in third grade, we kind of, I don't know, progressed to a more liberal church than the Church of Christ. Um, and then I, growing up as a teenager, I guess my form of rebellion was that I went with my boyfriend to a more Pentecostal Christian church. <laughs> okay. so, Quite a rebellion. So there's a yes. bit of a breadth there. Yeah. So, you know, the very conservative Church of Christ where, you know, girls don't wear pants to, uh -huh. you know, I moved to New York and now I can wear jeans. And then, you know, beyond that, I can go with my boyfriend to this church where they have like a drummer. It was <laughs> right. great. You yeah. Know, that, okay. That was kind of my form of rebellion. But I would say that uh, growing up, in that Christian faith and in my family, I felt as though I had a very happy childhood, which I know not all former Christians can say. Mm -hmm. um, so having that happy childhood, I guess, more ingrained me in the faith, if that makes sense, um, because I saw my parents being happy and raising happy children and you know, having a fulfilled life, I thought, well, you know, that's probably the footsteps that I should follow as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It worked for them. Why wouldn't it work for me? And I also have a stubborn nature to begin with. So it was a little harder for me to let go okay. of the Christian faith over time. But, yeah. you know, to answer your question, that's, that's how it began. I feel like it was a happy Christian childhood with a, a wide breadth of that whole genre of Christianity, so to speak. Yeah. And we'll probably say right here that, uh, you know, your parents were, were very supportive throughout the process, but they also put a little bit of burden on you that, that is part of the story. Is that, was that, is that accurate? Yeah, I, that's true. That's very true. Um, as in most Christian households, you know, you can't have sex until you get married. Um, you want to marry a Christian person and, so, you know, as, as a young woman who was full of hormones, I wanted to have sex, <laughs> yes. right? Just like yeah. any normal young human wants to. So I rushed into the decision of getting married. And I married this young man um, who was a Christian musician. And we had done lots of concerts together, like at, you know, Christian coffee houses. This is like on Long Island in New York. So just to give okay. you a little bit of the feel, because it's a different different culture out there. <laughs> All right. But, um, you know, we were having fun playing music together. I always loved music. I always loved horses. And the, you know, my parents wanted me to kind of be prepared for marriage, I guess. So mm -hmm. they sent us to Christian counseling, which was exactly 30 minutes long. And the Christian counselor was like, well, you like music and you like music. So you're going in the right direction and you both love Jesus. So go for it. You know, yeah. not very thorough. Right. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Um, and we they sent us to a a Christian conference on marriage. And, you know, they, they were never the type of parents to sit down and talk with me about personal life. That was kind of 
expected that the church did that. The church would teach you about sex and the church would teach you about relationships and the church would teach you what the proper roles were in life. That was always kind of the church's role. My mom didn't sit down with me and talk about those things. Okay. All right. So, so I imagine sex was never discussed is what you're kind of saying. Oh, absolutely not. Even, and I hope this isn't TMI, but my mother didn't even tell me about women having periods that came from school. So it was just very platonic, which to me at the time was normal. That was my family. Of course it's normal. Yeah. So I got married at 18 and we moved to Texas partially because his sister lived there and partially because, well, New York is expensive and we didn't have very good jobs because we didn't have degrees, but we were just young Christians that wanted to get married and have sex. <laughs> right. So we yeah, did. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, and I, I go into this a little bit in the book, but um, the sex was really awful and I regretted, <laughs> I mm. kind of regretted getting married. Yeah. But I didn't know that I could do anything about it at the time. You know, it's like, right. well, I did this next step in life, as I've been told, you know, you meet a Christian husband, you get married, you have children. That's that's what women do. And I never really, I wouldn't say I didn't question it, but it was repeated to me so many times and it just felt natural. That's what everyone in my social circle did. Yeah. It seemed natural. And my parents were liberal enough at that point that they supported the idea of me going to college, but they kind of ran out of money because my older brother and sister had gone to college. So I was kind of on my own and had to figure things out. But bottom line, I just wanted to have sex, really. (laughs) To be honest. So first of all, I'm sorry, you know, the sex being bad of all, you know, waiting for that and then having that experience be terrible. But also I'm interested in the culture shock of going from Long Island to Texas. What, what was that like? So honestly, for, for me, it was probably not as big a deal as it was for my then husband. Um, since I was an army brat and I had moved around a lot and, you know, I lived in Germany and Houston and... Uh, Virginia. And, you know, I moved around a lot. To me, moving wasn't a big deal. But my then husband was in the same house from birth until the day we got married. So he only knew Long Island culture. So I I would say it was a little harder for him. But there were definitely some things that I did not expect in moving to that that far south Uh, in Texas. It was very remote. Uh, There were many people in the county that we moved to who had never left the county, which as an army rat was baffling to me. I was like, how do you not leave your county? So, and neither of us had ever intended to go into ministry. He wanted to be an audio recording engineer in Austin. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be a horse trainer. That was kind of my my talent, my thing growing up, I was always around horses. Okay. And you would think going to Texas would be a good, right. a good move. Yeah. Right. I mean, Austin is a pretty good recording um, industry base. And I mean, there's horses everywhere in Texas. Yeah. Um, but our first stop was the same town where his sister lived. So we lived with her for a little while. And 
I guess to, <laughs> to kind of cut a longer story short, you know what? I'm going to make it just a little longer. Yeah. Uh, I, I started working as many jobs as I could find. I was an overnight waitress at a truck stop. Um, I was a housekeeper. I worked at the local Sonic. I would do anything to bring money into the house. Uh, but my then husband was of a different opinion about <laughs> his work. <laughs> uh, he had an associate's degree, which I guess to him was a big deal. And I only had a, um, a high school diploma. So he didn't want to take any job that was not related to audio recording technology. And in the tiny town where we were, well, you're, you're just not going to find that. Absolutely. You know, the thing that leaps off the page, Heather, is how much you're will you were willing to. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hustle and work and make it function in just impossible situations that just leapt off the page and how little help that you were getting from your then husband, right? Like that just is super clear in the story. Oh, yeah, that that is very, very true. Uh, and he was also, as I mentioned, raised in the Christian religion. So he had the very traditional um, gender roles in his mind as well. So, um, you know, if, if I had just come home from working two jobs, the dishes were left out for me to do, that kind mm, of a thing. Right. Um, so as good Christian couple, we went out and tried to find a new church in our new home. And, uh, you know, we landed at one of these Pentecostal churches with the drummer cause you know, I liked that <laughs> awesome music. Yeah. And, um, we stayed there for a little while and it, it turned out that their music minister was leaving and I don't blame him looking back. <laughs> right. I don't Hindsight. blame him. In hindsight, it makes perfect sense. But at the time, you know, their music minister is leaving. My current husband will not work. And they're going to offer him a little bit of money to lead worship. Well, yeah, I want him to do that. He's got to do something. Right, right. <laughs> to support the family. I mean, my father, when I was growing up, he worked several jobs too. So I guess in a way, maybe I was emulating my father mm -hmm. in my actions as you observed them. My father um, worked nights. He would work whatever shifts necessary. If we needed more money, he would pick up a shift at Domino's. You know, he would work. Yeah. And my mother stayed home. But this relationship with this new church in Texas started to evolve in an interesting way. Um, it came to my attention that... Even though I had said, yes, you should go and lead worship so that we can have money, there were background conversations that had happened in which the, the men had decided that he was committed to be here and that God had called him to this church and that the only people who could relinquish him of that commitment 
would of course be the pastor because the pastor is the voice of God in this community. Right. And God had called him to shepherd this flock. And if we were called to his flock, well, then logically, we are now under his purview. Mm. But it, it took some time for me to uncover this little mystery. Got it. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I think the way you describe it is you do that in the book as well. That's kind of these back corner conversations that you aren't privy to that you're husband of the time and the pastor are having, and they're making these decisions and it affects you directly, but you weren't a part of the conversation. You weren't even aware of it. No, no, I wasn't, I wasn't aware at all. And I guess coming from the more liberal New York church where I had become accustomed to women being more or less equals, even though they Mm -hmm. had a specific role, they were more or less equals. This was a little bit of a, a shock for me. Yeah. Um, and it, it developed even further to where, you know, I had my dream job interview. I wanted to train horses and this woman with exactly the breeds that I wanted to work with and exactly the disciplines I wanted to work with had answered one of my ads and I was going to go and um, interview. And it was in Austin where he wanted to work. So I thought, you know, clearly this is perfect based on what my then husband and I had discussed. Mm-hmm. On the way to this interview, um, my then husband asked to stop at the church to pick up his Bible, which is very out of character. Okay. So we stopped at the church, but the pastor was, I suppose, in town and pulled his car in right behind us to block us in and essentially let it be known then and there that this is, this is his commitment I would not be going to the interview. Uh, and again, this wow. conversation was between the men. I, I mean, I don't think any eye contact was given to me in this mm. conversation where the men were deciding my fate. Um, I was just a bystander. And wow. that I think that was the first giant red flag that I had there in Texas. Yeah. That, you know, I'm not at all seen as an equal. And I think... My husband has kind of, um, he's just gone along with this idea that he's called here and my job in life is to support his calling. Whereas when we got married, it was, you know, he's going to, he's going to be an audio recording engineer and I'm going to be a horse trainer. Well, that agreement had been nullified completely. Yeah. Um, so that, that was a, a giant red flag and. You know, from there, I still tried to trust God. I did not like the people. Mm-hmm. I did not agree with everything they believed, but I still tried to trust God. Because, again, that's how um, my parents had walked their lives, and they seemed very happy in doing so. And I remembered, you know, my parents used to host meetings in their home and women would talk about, you know, the difficulties of marriage and how you had to kind of compromise sometimes. And I thought, well, maybe this is a compromise. I don't know. Maybe I'm going through a hardship and I need to be strong. So, you know, through several incidents like that, I tried to trust God and I prayed a lot. People say... God is the only one 
who can change a man's heart. So I would pray for my husband that his heart would be changed. And of course it wasn't. Yeah. And I should say, he he is a very talented musician. So, I mean, in all of that area of Texas, he's probably one of the best worship leaders. So no one in their right mind was going to let him go. (laughs) Okay. Because good music brings more people to your church. And then the other detail is the strain and difficulty of poverty so that the church is not paying him much at all, right? It's basically a token amount of money. That's not enough for you and your family. Right. All the while you're hustling again, you're, you're taking every job you can take. Yeah. And I think that also leapt off the page, the difficulties of, of poverty itself and the constant stress of, can we make this payment or we're going to lose this electricity or gas or, or what have you. It seemed like you were juggling all of those things for a very long period of time. Yes, absolutely. Um, We were in Texas and under that church for 13 years total. Mm. And throughout that time, throughout, um, I ended up having four pregnancies, but for three of them, I was in Texas and I was on Medicaid for all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, if that gives you an idea of how how little money <laughs> we had, right? Um, and the church had originally offered to pay him a hundred dollars a week, which I understood to be for leading services, you know, Wednesday and Sunday morning and Sunday night. It's like you know, it's not much, but he needs to do something. Yeah. But that quickly turned into leading services and leading rehearsals, and then coming into the office. So yes, it started out as a hundred dollars a week for essentially a full-time job. Right. He in effect became a, he was on staff in effect. Oh yeah. He was, he was definitely on staff. The reason I bring that up is just to say, this is pretty common as well. Like I think really dedicated people want to participate in the church. They want to do so. And they're, and they wind up doing so for almost no money. And there's a, an element of, we're going to get into a lot of the spiritual abuse here. But even that is a bit of the spiritual abuse. It's like you, your work isn't worth an actual salary. You get, you know, whatever we're willing to throw your way. Yeah. And I, I did try to confront the pastor and his wife about this salary, quote unquote, mm-hmm. I'll use air quotes for that. Sure. And, um, you know, I, I complained to them that, you know, I don't have money to pay my electric bill. I don't have money to get the health items that I need for my, for my babies, you know, diapers and things like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, their response was that, well, that's not in the Bible. Electricity isn't covered in the Bible. So clearly you don't need it. If you have a roof over your head and if you have food to eat, then God has provided for you. So why are you complaining? (laughs) Wow. Wow. Again, way outside of anything I had grown up in. So this was just kind of a puzzle for me to figure out. Um, this church was also very full gospel. So they speaking in tongues, word of prophecy, all of those things. Mm-hmm. So it was very common for my then husband to be called up front for a word from the Lord about how he was called to this place and called to serve these people and how God was pleased with his service. Um, I was not called up very often, but... When I was, it was to reconfirm my gender role. 
which was, Mm. you know, you are a mother raising children for the glory of God and you are supporting your husband's ministry. And that was the only value seen in my presence. At, At least that's, that's how I interpreted it. Um, I'm sure if I were to confront one of them directly about it, they would say, oh, no, no, you have other things you could do. But uh, between the words of wisdom, quote unquote, and um, (laughs) (laughs) and also the fact that when I decided, you know, okay, my husband's not really going anywhere with this career. I think I need to go to college. Mm-hmm. So that I can make sure that my kids are taken care of. Um, yeah. And I said, I'm I'm going to go to college. And the pastor was just baffled by why a woman would need to go to college. Her place is oh, with the children. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that just kind of reinforced their their gender role bias. And, you know, but at the same time, I also remember um, going to their Proverbs 31 woman class and oh no okay i brought up the lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once actually do i have to say yes you do in the car before my kids pta meeting really yes excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky i never win and tell well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The fact, and I had to do it very carefully, you know, in Texas and in the Southern culture, you have to choose your words very wisely and make sure you don't speak negatively, especially about your husband. Mm-hmm. But I, I wanted to understand from their perspective why it was okay that my husband was not the provider for the home, as scripture says he should be, but that I am doing the providing and also doing the work at home. Right. But the pastor's wife who taught the class, her response was that if I choose to work outside of the home, then that's my choice. The burden at home still falls on me. Hmm. As if I had a choice in the matter of making sure I had the money when she knew from our personal conversations that I can't pay my electric bill. And by the way, I live in South Texas where it gets really hot and humid right? with small infants. So I, I definitely had a hard time grasping their perspective. But again, I tried to trust God and I was very stubborn about it. <laughs> Very stubborn. I look back and um, I I kick myself sometimes for being so stubborn. Like maybe was I blind? Should I have, you know, should I have counted these red flags a little more carefully and left sooner? But as many people who have left the faith know, you know, you're weighing all these things. Well, I'm going to lose all these friends. I'm going to lose my family. 
Will my sisters talk to me? Will my parents call me daughter? As a kind of voyeur into your life, you know, as I'm reading it, we're reading your perspective with hindsight. And so there's definitely an element where you're kind of like yelling at the you as the character in the book, like, can't you see this? Can't you see this? But I know exactly what that felt like. Like, you know, that, that there's just no way it's impossible to break out of that bubble. And that just seems entirely unattainable, even when you're seeing the red flags. It does. It does. And, and I think that it can especially be exacerbated by, and, and I don't mean to bias anything, but I, I think that for many women, mm-hmm. it's a little, uh, it's a little easier for women to be financially trapped. Yeah. Especially coming from the Christian background where training in other skills is not always encouraged for women. So what else are they going to do? I mean, like you said, I was hustling, but I was not getting paid very much for housekeeping and waitressing. And if you are to leave that bubble, then you have to pay childcare on top of that. Right. Whereas I could either bring my kids with me once in a while or leave them with their dad, which didn't always go well, but I could do it and it was free. (laughs) Yeah. That came across as well. The no good options, right? You were trying to make it work and you were also trying to, you know, we're inside your head and you're describing like thinking, how can I, you know, how could I get out if that were possible? And like, just like you say, not having child support, not having every person you went to for help was just reinforcing the same gender norms and the same story and keeping you trapped. Yeah, that's true. I did. Um, I left several times and, and I wasn't leaving in the sense that, Hey, I want a divorce. Mm-hmm. I would leave and say, these things need to change if this relationship will continue. Um, and twice I left and went to my parents who then sent me back. Um, right. I, I think because if he wasn't being unfaithful, they assumed we should be able to work through it. Uh, another two times I left and went to his aunt's house, which was in Houston and not far from the small Texas town where he lived uh-huh. or where we lived. And she had the same response. You know, she would support me for a little while, but she assumed that if he's not being unfaithful, I should just go back and try to work it out. Um, and of course I was willing to go to counseling, but the only counselor he was willing to go to was the pastor of the church because he's our shepherd, the whole spiel that I mentioned earlier. And I was no longer comfortable in that environment with the pastor and his wife and my then husband, um, who were all against what I had to say. Right. So I didn't consider that um, effective counseling to (laughs) three people and God against me. I was like, no. I don't, I don't feel like, can we go to a different counselor? It can be a Christian counselor, but a different one, but he flat out refused. Mm. So that's how deep he was into this. And that's when I started to think of it as, is this, is this like a cult that I'm in? Cause it's starting to feel like a cult. If we can't consult with anybody else and we can't counsel with anybody else and they don't want me to visit certain people, um, I would, I would visit my parents who lived in Gulfport 
And it was an eight hour drive and I would drive, you know, myself and two kids and to these people in South Texas who'd never left the county. They were horrified that I would drive <laughs> eight hours with my children. And I'm like, yeah, I want to get out of here. So I'm going. Yeah. That's fascinating. Just not being like, not even recognizing the need to, you know, leave their hometown for any reason. No, no, they did not. It was a farming community, you know, lots of the entertainment was like, you know, hunting and fishing and um, there there were horses. I did have the opportunity to work with horses for practically free. Um, And I think that might have, I don't know, calmed me enough, satiated me enough to stay a little bit longer. Okay. Um, When I would confront my then husband and say, you know, you're getting everything you want in life here and I'm getting nothing. He's like, well, you can ride horses. No, and I was like, well, I mean, that's kind of true, but look at the rest of this stuff, you know? Yeah. This is is pretty awful. But we did have a couple of um, major, just major, major incidents that I guess, I don't know, sealed the deal for me. Okay. (laughs) Um, I did through a a random string of events end up with several horses of my own that um, I was breeding and I was teaching some kids some lessons. And, and part of this was enabled by the fact that his uh, mother had moved to Texas and bought a large piece of land. I couldn't afford the land, but uh, my parents helped us buy a mobile home on the land. So, you know, getting back into the poverty, you know, this is how poor we are. I have to ask my parents at like age 30, to help me buy a mobile home, which just seems crazy when I'm working three jobs and he's working one. Mm, something's off. But we had this land and um, I essentially exchanged favors for these horses or um, I seemed to be talented with quote unquote problem horses. So people would practically give them to me and they're like, I can't do anything with it. You do something. with it. Okay. So I had several horses. Um, one was a stallion who I needed to bring to shows in order to make sure that his stud fee could be increased. You know, if he wins shows, then, you know, I can increase his stud fee and thus increase my income. Right. So um, we went to a show near a place where my parents had a home since I couldn't afford a hotel. (laughs) Everything was (laughs) planned around the budget. Um, And we did great at the show. I mean, we were qualifying for championships and, and all kinds of things, but, um, the kids had come the last day with my parents and my then husband and my, one of my children fell through the bleachers. Mm. He was age four at the time uh, and smacked his head on the concrete. And we ended up going to the hospital. Oh, wow. So he ended up with a eight inch crack in his skull, which for a four year old is quite large. Yeah. And the doctor said he was lucky to be alive. So this show had taken place in Arkansas. We lived way south in Texas, south of Houston. So it was a pretty, pretty decent distance. Um, so while we were in the emergency room with my child, the first thing that my ex asked was, can you go and ask your dad if I can borrow a vehicle? Because I need to get back for church. Wow. Yeah. So that's when I... I was like, okay, his priorities are out of whack. I am nowhere on this list. And the kids are just like, hey, I'm a Christian dad. Check it out. Check out my badge. You know, I have 
a wife and kids and I'm doing the Christian thing. Yeah. So uh, I think that's really when things started to, I don't want to say fall apart for me because really things got better. Maybe I should say in in a very Christian way, the scales fell off of my eyes (laughs) at that point in time. And I began to just see things for what they were and not calculate anymore about finances and relationships and what I thought I knew. And, and I just, and I realized that I'd been praying for so long, but there had never been an answer. Mm. Yeah. Now, if I went and talked to the pastor and his wife, they might say, well, maybe God's answer was no. Or maybe his answer was, you need to wait. Or maybe his answer was, um, you're going through a trial and this will make you stronger. But at this point in time, I just, my patience for that kind of circular logic was gone. Yeah. Especially for a mother, I think, you know, your child almost died. So that logic is, it's just not going to cut it. Yeah. That, (laughs) that almost implies God caused that kind of thing. And yeah, that's just unacceptable. Right. And, and was I doing anything wrong? No, I was trying to support my family. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even like, you know, I'm doing this as a hobby and just for fun. I was trying to do this for my family. So um, he did not um, end up going back to lead worship. But that didn't matter at that point. The question had been asked. The ranking had been revealed. <laughs> yeah, priorities. And, and I was done. I was like, you know, things need to change or or this is over. And I began expressing that and doubled down on my on my college for sure, because I still in my mind assumed that my way out, as you put it earlier, mm-hmm. was I need to get a degree and a job and be able to support all of us on our own, on my own, not, not my husband, myself and the children yeah. on my own, because I don't see this changing at all. Um, so yeah, I doubled down on my college and my mother was very supportive of that. Um, she helped to pay for some child care while I went to college, um, helped with cars and things like that. So they were very supportive in terms of, um, I guess, building me up to support myself. Yes. But, uh, you know, like I said, I had left and they sent me back when I got married. My father had told me there's no such thing as divorce. So of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, if I get a divorce, my father's going to hate me. Ah, yeah. I had several very, (laughs) difficult conversations with him because I, I guess I had learned that I can't, I can't leave and expect him to change. The pastor is certainly not going to help me in any way, whether it's counseling or, you know, trying to motivate him. The pastor's motivation was to keep this awesome musician in his church so that his church would grow. And the pastor had on several occasions mentioned from the pulpit that he has a PhD in psychology. And of course that started to raise 
some red flags with me after the scales fell off my eyes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, I see what you're doing. The manipulation becomes clear. Yes, yes. And, and we were in abject poverty. The pastor had um, 18 acres, a huge house, a barn, um, all that was facilitated by the church. And I'm sure there was some manipulation involved in that as well. Yeah. You know, they had given money to make sure that he had this parsonage. And they had come out and helped him build the barn. So um, he'd gotten all of this for free. He had a decent salary. He had a, you know... Model T Ford. I don't even know what that's worth. I don't know cars, but I know it was expensive. Okay. Um, so he had a good salary and he also had a housing allowance. And then his daughter married a young man who then became the associate pastor. So now we've got nepotism. <laughs> okay. They were permitted a house on the property as well. And they got a better salary and a housing allowance. We never got a housing allowance or or even a decent salary. Yeah. So yes, manipulation, nepotism, poverty, um, and just trying to unravel those beliefs that were ingrained in me as a young person and in a positive way, not in a negative way. You know, everything that I had experienced growing up in Christianity was positive. Of course, there are some things I look back on now and go, okay, that was messed up. But as a child, <laughs> it was ingrained in me in a positive way. Yeah. So you're trying to interpret, again, these very difficult circumstances somehow as giving God credit or giving what's happening is this spiritual abuse where uh, you and your family are being used <laughs> and, and you yes. know, you're trying to, you're still trying to make it work. You're still trying internally to make it okay somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I was. So I think in addition to wanting to get this degree, right, mm -hmm. part of me thought, well, maybe it's this pastor. Maybe it's the pastor having control over my then husband. Maybe if I can get him away from this pastor, maybe he'll be different. So, you know, we had some conversations about that. And his, I think he had gotten pretty tired of everything, too. Um, and at one point he was like, you know what, let's just, let's just look for jobs and see what God has in store. Right. Okay. But the caveat was he would not fill out the applications or write the cover letters. That was my job, but I was <laughs> really motivated to get out of there. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I made a nice resume and it was truthful, but I made a nice resume. <laughs> yes. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> I, I put out cover letters and, you know, before, before we knew it, he had interviews. Now, one of the interviews he had was for another church in Reno, Nevada. Mm. <laughs> and I was just terrified. Of course, I submitted the application, but my, my main objective was to get him away from this pastor and get more money. Right. And what's on his resume, right? Lots of church work. So he had this interview with Reno, Nevada over the phone. And I guess I was going to try praying one more time, basically that he didn't get the job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't think it was the prayer that worked though. Yeah. And in that moment, you know, I think this is kind of the realization is dawning on you, right? That you really don't want him to get 
that job. Did you equate that just to the church work or were you equating that to your relationship with God in general? Like how, like how did that, how did that pan out? Oh, wow. That is a very good question. I knew that the fact he was having an interview with this church made me sick to my stomach. Mm, Yeah. And I had to kind of wrestle with that and determine why. I, I believe at that point in time, I was questioning God to the point that I knew I did not want to be in ministry because I needed, well, I never wanted to be in ministry, but basically not a, <laughs> my yeah. life could not be in the ministry in order for me to figure this out. Yeah. Okay. There were a couple of other jobs that were applied for, like focused on the family and all of these. I was like, oh, that just puts a pit in my stomach. Yeah. I don't want to have to wear this facade anymore. So then I had to recognize and admit to myself that all of this was a facade. Because mm. I had said that to myself. I don't want to wear a facade anymore. So I don't want him to work for these companies. No, I just admitted that it's all a facade. Right. So um, I, I did overhear in this interview with Reno, Nevada. Um, they, they'd asked him some questions about the leadership in the church, and it kind of went awry. And I think <laughs> okay. they kind of figured out that he was in a one of those churches, you know? Got it. Yeah. So um, I'm pretty sure that's why he didn't get the job, and it had nothing to do with me saying a prayer. So <laughs> um, thankfully, the job that he did get was just like pulling wire for government buildings in Virginia. I was like, yes, that's perfect. Let's do that. Because, well, number one, we have friends there. Um, he needs to learn some work ethic. Uh-huh. It comes with a salary and health benefits, which we had never had before. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was pregnant with my fourth child and had never had health benefits before. Wow. So, yes, we accepted the job and I had to do all of the moving myself. Again, I was highly motivated. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you were pregnant at the time and doing it by I yourself. Was. Yeah. I was seven months pregnant. I had um, broken an ankle and had screws put in. So I had a, a rocker boot on oh, at wow. the time as well. So um, I didn't know I was pregnant at the time when I broke my leg, just <laughs> in case anyone's okay. thinking I did anything crazy while I was pregnant. <laughs> It was a long surgery and recovery, so yeah, I didn't know I was pregnant. I broke my leg, and now I'm seven months pregnant in a rocker boot, cleaning out a mobile home in Texas so that I can just leave. Yeah. And, um, and nobody from the church came to help. Mm, wow. I don't think that surprised me at that point, though, because I realized that – I'll use the word club, but it really was a cult – if you're in the club, then they're with you. If you're out of the club, they're not with you. You have to kiss the ring and show loyalty in some way or another. And if you, if you don't, or if you're even slightly skeptical, then, then you're on the outs. Exactly. Yeah. And I was on the outs, but living on what I call the commune, the same property where the pastor and the associate pastor were in. I'm moving out of my house. They're having a Christmas party. 
that I wasn't invited to. Oh, man. And nobody wants to come and help me. But at that point, I just, I just didn't care. I just, I just wanted out. I just wanted to leave. Um, and of course, my children were not of the same opinion. You know, they don't see the things the way adults do. Sure. One of them was threatening to run away. <laughs> so to him, it was like just this dark time where he has to leave mm. his friends and everything he knows. And for me, it was just like, I finally get to leave this place. I thought <laughs> they would never come. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, and then my father, again, was very, very supportive. Um, I think if he didn't have to work, he would have come and helped me pack. He did come and help me pack the last of it, um, which all had to fit in a 14-foot stock trailer. So there was a lot of downsizing happening. <laughs> right, right. Um, but he came and he, uh, you know, he made sure everything was covered and kept dry and he helped me drive. And, you know, my parents have always been like very supportive. Yeah. And they still are. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, so he helped me drive from Texas all the way up to Maryland. The job was in Virginia, but we had friends who had a house in uh, Maryland. And they were like, you can stay there for a while. That house was to me like a mansion, like coming from a single wide trailer in Texas where like the fire ants and the mice can get in to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, like if it rained really hard, fire ants would be in my closet. It's oh, terrible. Man. Yeah. And you also described just the, you kind of juxtapose your child's experience of driving away and your experience of driving away. And like for you, it was just freedom. You were ready to go. Yes. <laughs> And poor thing, he just had tears running down his face. He was so sad. And so I'm trying to be compassionate towards him, but I'm like celebrating inside. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but you'll be glad to know that since then, um, I have brought all of my kids back there. I'm just, I think there was a funeral. I don't uh -huh. remember why we went back there. It was not for fun. Right. <laughs> but we went back there and my son at the time was uh, like 18 or 19. Uh -huh. He was like, Mom, this place is weird. I'm so glad you got us out of here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, as as a mom in that moment, back then, it was hard, but it's just so wonderful to see now that he gets it, you know? Like, now he It was definitely it. the right choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, and they know a little bit about about the history with that church. Not a whole lot, 
okay. well, now, now that they're getting older, my oldest is now 24 and has a copy of my book. So I guess he knows like everything. That would be real interesting to hear uh, his perspective, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I asked him to have his wife uh, read it first. Just uh-huh. in case anything was a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did not want to know this. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. I was like, why, why don't you have your wife read it first? She's great. <laughs> yeah. She's great. Uh, so, so we did. We got to Maryland, this wonderful house we were living in, really good friends, and we were not in ministry. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which gave me some space. Yeah. Um, I did still have this like questioning in my head, like, well, maybe it was the people. Maybe, maybe I should still try a different church and trust God. Maybe it was just those people. Those people were doing it wrong. Um, but I refused to enter ministry or volunteer or do any of that. I was like, I got to figure this out because what was that pit in my stomach? Anytime I thought about working for a Christian organization, what was that about? Right. And why haven't I had any prayers answered? Like, does God not care about me? Is there no God? Like, which is it? So we tried a couple of churches out there. Uh, The first I felt was, it was like low-key, pretty mainstream. But it was all a facade. And I, I could see that. Like, just walking in and talking to people. I was like, I know that facade because I've worn it. So you can't really put it past me. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And then we tried a a messianic church, which was very different. And I kind of, I kind of had fun there because they would let you debate. They would let you say, I don't think prayer works. And we're going to talk about it. More, more honesty. Yeah. Lots of honesty. Um, I didn't, I didn't really see the facade there nearly as much. Once in a while with a few people, sure. But I appreciated that I could talk to people honestly. And really, I don't know that there were very many other places I could do that outside of when I took college classes. Those were my two places that I felt like I could speak honestly, mm-hmm. which is very few places for a person in their, you know, entering their middle age life, you know, that you've always worn a facade for church. You've always worn a facade for, you know, high school. Most people do. Um, so the messianic church and going to college were just eye opening for me. The scales had fallen off and now I get to learn. I get to learn and, and listen to other people's ideas without the veil of religion, which was just absolutely freeing. Yeah. The excitement of learning comes across as well, that you were just blossoming in these college classes and getting to discuss ideas and politics and religion and all those things. And the freedom to just speak your mind uh, really came across as well. Yeah. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, And in the Messianic church, there would be times, you know, they also practiced things like the word of wisdom and speaking in tongues. And whenever things like that would happen, I kind of would back away and kind of walk to the back door because I was allowed to do that. I didn't have to wear the facade because I'm not in ministry. Right. And, you know, there were very kind people there that would 
follow me to the back door and ask me, you know, what's going on? What are you thinking? And have a conversation there about it. Uh, this pastor was a little bit on my side, which was a new experience for me as well. Uh, he would bring my then husband into the office and be like, look, man, you're not holding up your end of the deal and you need to go to work. So that kind of, um, as I said, it shocked me, but it also made me still kind of weighing this. Maybe it was the people like these people are totally different from those people. So mm-hmm. where's God in this mix? Is God, does he want a personal relationship with me really? Because it seems like if he did, then people wouldn't matter. Like if God has this plan for my life and I'm just quote unquote with the wrong people, why should that get in the way of an all powerful God? That doesn't really make sense. Yeah. So yes, I'd been able to express my ideas freely. I'd been able to debate a little bit. I'd been able to drop the facade and be honest with myself as well as other people. And now I'm looking at the entire history. Well, if God couldn't help me when I was with the wrong people, and God can't help me when I'm with better people, Mm -hmm. and if people shouldn't matter at all, then where's God? Is there a God? I mean, my, my, my parents still had a very happy Christian marriage. But I had had a totally different path. And I wouldn't say I blame it on the marriage. It was just the course of that my life took that made me go, I don't, I don't know if God's in the mix at all. Right. Maybe everybody else, like my mom, had happiness. So maybe that caused her to assume that God was blessing her? I don't know. I'm just speculating what my mother's role or her life trajectory might have been. But mine was different. My childhood was, God is wonderful, follow Jesus and you'll be happy. But after I was married and tried to do those things, life did not turn out the same way for me as it had for my mother. And I guess I should call myself lucky for that. Because if I had had a happy marriage and everything went well like it did for my mother, then I never would have challenged the ideas that I was brought up in. Mm. Eventually I did get the degree Living in Maryland and having him away from the pastor did not help. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, No one can change the heart of a man except the man, I guess. Um, Yeah. But he, yeah, he still had a terrible work ethic. He still believed that Christian music was his calling and that's what he was going to do, even if it meant the family was poor. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I finished my degree and I got a job. (laughs) Got a really good job, too. 
and and once I had, I guess, that financial security, that's when I, I think it was the last straw. Like I could drop all of the weight and say, okay, I'm going to be okay no matter what. It's okay if I leave the marriage. It's okay if I leave the religion because now I can support myself and my kids. So I didn't need anyone else. I mean, I was always kind of a independent personality. So I always thought I could do things on my own. But when you really come down to those little details, like renting a house and paying your electric bill, you can't do that on, you know, housekeeper's salary. So the financial freedom even gave you more space to explore your own autonomy and the things that you had been taught throughout your life. Yes. Yes. That gave me the, the final freedom I needed, I think, to fully trust myself to examine things mm-hmm. without fear of retribution of what others would think because they would not support me or I wouldn't be able to, um, you know, access their friendship or their, uh, you know, my would my parents let me come and stay with them for a while. I, I didn't know. So to be able to have my own income and my own house, I needed that. So I did get those things. Um, and uh, again, at work, that was another eye-opening experience because my job wanted to put me through special training and pay me while I went to special training. And I thought that was shocking. And uh, Mm -hmm. the friend who was allowing us to live in their house, he said, you know, the the job is investing in you because they know that if they give you more skills, it benefits them. And just that, that was a mind-blowing idea for me that someone wanted to invest in me. Mm. Yeah. Whereas clearly my experience with the church in Texas. Nobody, nobody wanted to invest in me. <laughs> right. Like, and, and you are worthy of investment. Yeah. 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 You know, my role had just been, you know, make sure this musician stays at our church. So the idea that my employer would invest in me and then of course, learning all of the things that they wanted to teach me just opened my world up even bigger. Like the further I stepped away from religion, I just felt like my world got bigger and bigger and bigger. And to me, that was awesome. It was not scary. It was just like, there's so much to explore. Why didn't I know this before? But, you know, church circles are very, very tight. And the uh, environments you're permitted to explore are very, very small. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. In church circles. So this was all just, oh, I just loved it. And one day I decided I was going to test God. And I know I can just hear like a lot of current Christians saying, you can't test God. <laughs> right. I'm just wrong. But I needed, I just had to know, like, I can't continue this facade anymore. I feel like God's never talked to me. So if he says he wants this personal relationship with me, he's going to have to say something. Otherwise, I'm out. And I I think at this point, I was already 
very, very, very doubtful. I really didn't think there was a God. But I just, I just had to do this like one last test just to be sure before I would just say I'm an atheist. And I knew all of the, the quote-unquote rules that, that Christians have, maybe not in all circles, but the ones that I came from, like you can't pray for a million dollars. You can't pray something that's going to change someone else's life to benefit you. You know, there's all these rules about what you can and cannot pray for and expect God to answer. But all I wanted was like, hello. <laughs> you know, right. right. <laughs> yeah. The bar I, is set pretty low. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's all I wanted. Like, yeah. If Christianity is all about this relationship, right? If you can't talk to somebody, then you can't have a relationship. So this is my test. Either you say something to me or I'm out. Yeah. And if, if God can't care enough about me to say something to me, then why, <laughs> why continue? Right. Um, so, yeah, I did. I set the bar very, very, very low. It was like, I work in an office now. God, if you're there, have someone leave an orange sticky note on my computer tomorrow. And, you know, people leave sticky notes on my computer all the time. It comes in like a pack of four colors. It's like a multiple choice test, right? 25% <laughs> chance. Yes. Pretty easy. <laughs> yes. So tests like that. And, you know, clearly God never responded. Like God wasn't there. God didn't talk to me. I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm done. I am not doing this anymore. So between that realization and now I have this financial freedom and now I realize I'm living with this quote-unquote partner who's really not helping me do anything and I haven't trusted him for years, why am I still with this guy? Mm. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, we like I mentioned, we did counsel with a couple of other Christian counselors and we tried some secular counselors. And One secular counselor gave us a book to read about... Um, you know, rekindling the fire in your marriage. And I was like, this guy just doesn't get it. He does not know what I've been through. I, Chapter one. Please recall a time in your marriage when you enjoyed each other and had fun. <laughs> yes. I just, I couldn't get past that. Yeah. That's a bad sign for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um... I had everything lined up to leave, and I could finally say I, I want a divorce. So um, then I had to brace myself for my parents' response. You know, my dad, who's been saying all this time, there's no such thing as divorce. All right. Well, this is how I want to live my life now, because I have the means to live my life the way I want to. And because I no longer want to have this facade and I no longer want to be married to this guy. Mm -hmm. So I, I called my parents and I told them I wanted a divorce and they were like, wow, we knew it would come to this. And we were kind of surprised it took this long. Can we be <laughs> for your lawyer? Oh, <laughs> I was wow. like, what? I don't know when their perspective changed. I know they they saw problems in the marriage. I know that they were not happy with the church. 
but they mm-hmm. had sent me back twice. So I fully expected them to not be supportive of this decision. And yet they were. But again, like I said, my parents never really talked to me about personal things until it really comes down to it. And I'm like, hey, I'm getting a divorce. And now now they have to reveal where they are. And good for them for being supportive, even if it was maybe a little late. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I have to applaud my parents because they really have over the years, you know, like I said, we started in Church of Christ, no instruments, girls are in skirts. And I can see over the years that they've really become more and more progressive in their Mm -hmm. thinking. And, you know, now I have children who are in the LGBTQ community and they have to wrestle with that. Right. And they're still being supportive. I mean, sometimes comments are made. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. But they're still grandparents, you know, they haven't like cut anybody out. Right. But yeah, yeah. So they were supportive of of my divorce as well, which was Mm. just shocking. So my employer was then not only willing to invest in me for training, but I was given the opportunity to go for a master's degree and they would pay me to go to classes twice a week instead of work. So my tuition was paid for, uh, my salary was full. Like it it was an opportunity I could not pass up. It wasn't going to take any more of my time. And um, the divorce in the, we were living in Maryland. So in the state of Maryland was a minimum 12 month separation before you can actually divorce. Yeah. So, you know, what else am I going to do for a year? I was I was wanting to get out anyway, out of the house, and I would take night classes. That was fine, as long as I didn't have to be around my ex, <laughs> my soon-to-be ex at the time. Yeah. So that also broadened my world yet again. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned about the counseling sessions that we had uh, where – You know, the secular counselor wanted me to think of a time when we were happy together. I realized that, like, I felt as though there had been no relationship really for at least a decade at this point. You know, there was, I wasn't in love with this guy. I didn't trust him at all. I had no reason to trust him. It was really just a legal obligation. And that's it. A legal obligation. And then we have these children who call him daddy. And that would make me sad for them to say, where's my daddy? You know? Yeah. But um, while I was in my master's classes, um, (laughs) I became attracted to one of my professors. Scandalous. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Two adults attracted to each other. That's right. Yes. (laughs) Full-blown adults. How terrible. (laughs) Yes. And um, the the attraction was mutual. Yeah. And it it was just a really weird place because now I didn't have God's rules to deal with. But I did have society's rules. And society's rules say a professor and a student should not be romantically involved. Yeah. However, my life story said, I haven't been able to trust another person 
and connect with that person. And when I say intimately, I just mean like conversationally intimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In decades, like why should I not permit myself this opportunity just because of society's rules? Mm-hmm. So now I'm becoming more rebellious, right? Forget God's <laughs> rules, forget society's rules. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to break them all, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we did. I mean, I since we were separated at the time, um, we weren't allowed to be in the same house at the same time. So my ex had the house um, mostly over the weekends, and I had it like Monday through Thursday. Right. So... I would go and hang out with him over the weekends. And I really, I'm glad that I made that decision to buck all the rules uh-huh. <laughs> because I, I so needed the rest from all of those years of working several jobs, raising several kids, trying to make ends meet, trying to fight the pastor and his wife and all of this stuff, trying to figure out if God exists, making sure that the move goes smooth, you know, all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. for like i think it had been 20 years at this point so 13 years in texas and another like five or six in maryland before i was like that's it we're done yeah i needed the rest so badly and when i started to talk to this man uh he had been raised mormon and had left the mormon faith mm-hmm. so he kind of understood all these weird like ideas that come up once in a while or memories that come up that you have trouble shaking. He understood those nuances as well. Yeah. Which was so helpful to me. Um, But he would also, you know, so we could talk together. I would get naps, which I'd never really gotten before. (laughs) (laughs) He would cook me food. Yeah. Uh, I got to drink wine, which was like not permitted before. (laughs) Yes. So I was just like living the life on weekends, you know, uh, all, all of course, very secretive, but, um, I'm not ashamed of that. And you had a true partner for the first time in your life, someone who was supporting you and actually cared about your needs and not just their own. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would, of course, out of habit, sometimes fall into gender roles and he would be like, why are you doing that? You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. I can do that just as well as you can do that. So why do you assume it's your job? So, you know, he had to like talk me out of, coax me out of these ideas that had been ingrained in me for so long. Even though I knew in my mind I disagreed with, for instance, gender roles, the habit was so ingrained because it was taught to you, first of all. And then even as an adult, when I was frustrated with it, it was expected of me, so I did it anyway. So I hung out with this guy, <laughs> stayed in his apartment for a while, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I really, it, it surprised me, too, to be in a relationship because before I met him, I just, I was just like, men suck. I, I don't want anything to do with men. I have this job. I have a salary. I can do it on my own. I don't need a man. But as many people have experienced, you know, sometimes you meet just that right person and you can't talk yourself out of it exactly. (laughs) So I was in it and I was in it for good. 
but he was he's still we're still together we're married now yeah uh we congratulations yeah oh, thank you thank you <laughs> yeah. thank you uh we really honestly tried to avoid the convent of marriage because neither of us are thrilled about the concept in general okay um we were gonna just have like power of attorney done and you know a few legal documents that would make sure that we could take care of each other but we would both had pretty bad experiences with marriage Mm -hmm. and didn't really want to go there again but um the reason we did was because, <laughs> oh, as you might expect from a very religious ex, when we were going through the divorce, he insisted that we put in this clause that there could be no overnight visitors of the opposite sex. Oh, wow. <laughs> while you had the children. So, wow. like, we're having this domestic partnership, and he's helping me with the kids, and my ex absolutely objects. And he's like, I'm going to come and take the kids in the middle of the night. You're breaking the law. You know. Yeah. Christian kindness is not happening anymore. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, we just went to the courthouse and we were like, well, I mean, I, we're going to be together anyway. I guess we'll just go get the paper, even though we don't like it. Just for legal reasons, really, is what it came down to. It was just legal protection. So, so yes, I'm married to that lovely man now. He still cooks for me. He's still feeds me lots of wine so um <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome i'm doing well <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so heather as, as we wrap up we've kind of described the book as as looking back with hindsight what do you want to say to a young woman who is where you were at when you were 18, 19, 20 years old. Like what, what, what is it that you needed to have heard at that time? Oh, wow. Um, it's probably something a little bit different at each stage, but, um, I guess as a very young mother, you know what, let's go with, uh, first planning to get married. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a young person, Planning to get married, I would say you need to very, very critically examine your beliefs before you jump into a very long-term relationship uh, based on those beliefs. Mm-hmm. And that even even if your current situation doesn't seem harmful, those beliefs can very quickly change into something harmful. Um, so you need to have much more to build on in a long-term relationship than a belief system that may or may not change. Mm, yeah. Of course, all of us change over time, but um, I, I also think that getting married at age 18 is not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all need a little more growth. Um, yeah. I think living together before you get married is a wonderful idea. Yeah. I think sex before marriage is a wonderful idea. Um, but yes, I would, I would examine your, your belief system. Um, as a middle-aged woman who may feel trapped, 
I would definitely advise making sure you can secure your own support. I ended up having a fairly supportive environment with my family, but I know there are other situations in which that may not be the case. Um, and that's, that's very hard to do. You can't always get the money for college, you know, uh, you, but, but the positive thing now, you know, back then when I was in this situation, we didn't really, the internet was very young. We didn't have teleworking. There were very few college classes you could take from home, but now you can be a woman who runs a business from home and has children. That's possible. It's not easy, but it's possible. Um, and I still go by the rule. I don't ever want to rely on another person to take care of me. Right. And that can be hard sometimes, you know, there, there are times that I'm, you know, working full time, raising kids. I'm like, I'm tired. You make a lot of money. Why don't I just stay home? But I can't do it. I just have to have that. This, this is my income. This is my retirement. I cannot depend on another person. And I think that's healthy. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, because outside of belief systems, I think people do change over time. And I have explored the ideas of like polygamy and things like that. I've, I have found that for me, monogamy is comfortable. Mm-hmm. I also would not put it past the possibility that my current partner changes enough in a certain amount of time that it's not compatible anymore. And that's okay. Right. So I would toss out the idea of long-term monogamy and explore what kind of a relationship do you want to have? Do you Mm -hmm. want to live alone? That sometimes sounds glorious to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, do you want a polygamous relationship? I know plenty of people who do, and I support that. I thought for myself that it, that just doesn't work for me. Right. And we could get into, well, it was just the way you were raised. Maybe it was, but this is where I am now. And this is how I feel. I found a person I can trust. And actually that's a great segue to my last question. The title of the book is trustworthy. Yes. And you're exploring many of the ways that the people in your life were untrustworthy, but you end with recognizing that you are trustworthy. If you want to just expand on that for a moment. Yeah. Now that I look back, I realize how much of, you know, when I had these questionings in my head, I would instantly refer to what someone else had said, what someone else had taught me, what the Bible said, or you know, what pastor so-and-so said that God said, you know, and I think that Christianity often teaches you not to trust yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I was leaning on all of these other people and then, and scripture and imaginary persons. um, And then realizing that all of those were just straw or imaginary or whatever you want. They weren't there. That was nothing to lean on. Why was I leaning on those things? 
And I could also recognize there had been times in my life when if I had trusted my gut, things would have worked out better. Right. And I could also identify times in my life when I did trust my gut and things worked out better. So um, the cover of the book, Love, I had a gentleman from France do that for me. And it, it kind of calls me back to this one moment. So as I mentioned, my parents lived in Gulfport, um, which was hit very hard by Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. And there were all these trees lining the, um, the beach. And Hurricane Katrina pretty much killed them all, but some of them were just these stumps. They were not really trees anymore. They weren't going to grow. But they were there, and they were, I don't know, stick it up. <laughs> and um, some artists came down, and they, they carved these stumps into beautiful wood sculptures. Because they would have been too hard to pull out of the ground. They were very deep-rooted. And I remember visiting my parents after Katrina, and after these um, sculptures had been made, and just looking at them and thinking that's how I feel. Mm -hmm. Like I feel dead inside, but that doesn't mean it's the end for me. Like I can still be something. Even if all of this other stuff has happened to me. Just be a second, sorry. That's okay. Yeah. So even if it feels like everything has been stripped away from me and it looks like there's nothing left, I can be something. It might be different than what I originally imagined it would be. You know, this beautiful tree with leaves bearing children for God's glory. No, that's not what I'm going to be. But I'm going to be something amazing and creative and imaginative. I just need to give myself a chance. And not follow the path that others laid out for me. Mm. I need to trust myself, trust my gut. And recognize that out of everyone in the world, out of all the ideas in the world, my ideas are trustworthy. Hmm. So that is, um, that's why I love that cover so much. And I know no one listening can see it, but uh, <laughs> did a great job of like, you know, making the wood sculpture with a live bird coming out of it. And I was like, yes, that's what I was going for. Heather Wells, your book is Trustworthy. A Journey from American Christianity to Freedom. Can you let people know how they can find the book and or reach you if you are interested in in that? Yeah, absolutely. So currently it is only on Amazon. Um, It will be released to other platforms in January. Um, Okay. It's interesting. If you go to Amazon and just put in Trustworthy, there is a very, very popular Bible study book that comes up. You don't want that one. (laughs) Right. Do not be confused. Right. Right. You want Trustworthy by Heather Wells. And I I do have an email address, which is uh, trustworthy.wells at gmail.com. 
if anyone would want to reach out to me um, that way, I would be glad to have conversations or, you know, meet for coffee, whatever. Fantastic. Heather, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Final thoughts on the episode. Wow, that is an incredible story. And Heather tells it so well, both in the book and in the interview that we just had. I'll be honest with you. I get asked to read books all the time. And I am pretty skeptical when I start out. And I was gripped by this story from the first chapter. It's an incredibly important story for a number of reasons. One of the main ones is that it is uniquely about a woman's story in a patriarchal Christianity. As we said in the interview, Heather's parents were relatively supportive throughout the process, but they also burdened her by telling her that divorce was never an option. She talks about the men were deciding my fate and I was just a bystander. She also says, it's a little easier for women to be financially trapped, especially coming from the Christian background where training and other skills is not always encouraged for women. So what else are they going to do? Even though Heather was ambitious and interested in education and she ultimately wanted to have her own career and was struggling to accomplish those things, she was being put in a box and not let out. The other incredibly important part of her story is the religious and spiritual abuse of this cultish little church. I really appreciate Heather talking about the scales fell off my eyes and I began to see things for what they were. She began to see the manipulation of particularly the pastor, but that specific church and the wider church in general. You can see the motivations for the spiritual abuse. In her former husband's case, it was because he was a musician. In her case, it was to keep her quiet so that she didn't take her husband somewhere else. I'm incredibly inspired by Heather's growth in learning to trust herself. Ultimately, this is a story about all of the untrustworthy people in her life, the people that she went to for help. She was honest with them and they gave pat answers and temporary help. Unfortunately for Heather, she had to do things on her own. And boy, does she, from beginning to end, she is hustling, making things work in the most extreme and difficult circumstances. But it is inspiring to hear that Heather learned to trust herself. Another quote of hers, even if it feels as though everything has been stripped away from me and it looks like there's nothing left, I can be something. I'm going to be something amazing and beautiful and imaginative. I just need to give myself a chance. And the title of the book is Trustworthy. And the last line of the book is, I have the freedom and confidence to call myself trustworthy. So it really is the story of her learning to trust herself, even though, as she says, Christianity often teaches you not to trust yourself. The book is Trustworthy, A Journey from American Christianity to Freedom. It is available on Amazon. We will have links in the show notes. I want to thank Heather for being on the podcast, for telling her story with such honesty. And you heard the emotion there at the end, even after all these years of how powerful it was for her to learn to trust herself. Thank you, Heather, for inspiring us. Thank you for giving 
people hope who feel trapped. And thank you for writing your story and sharing it with us on the podcast. The Secular Grace Thought of the Week is about escaping abuse. The second your cognitive dissonance breaks and you are able to admit to yourself that you're in an abusive situation. As I said to Heather, one of the interesting aspects of reading her story is this is her telling the story with hindsight. And so there are moments in which you are kind of yelling at the page, yelling at Heather, like, get out, get out. And it seems so obvious in all of this hindsight. But the honesty with which Heather tells the story, you can remember that you feel trapped. You feel like there's no way you could leave that scenario, that situation. And the message I want you to take away from Heather's story today is similar to our deconstruction process when we begin to admit to ourselves that maybe everything we've been told is not true. For some people who find themselves in abusive situations, there might be a moment where they are honest with themselves. Maybe they can't even tell another human being, but internally they recognize this is abuse. Whether it is physical, sexual, spiritual, religious, and even in the case of former guest Alice Gretchen, she talked about being in a very cultish acting group. It doesn't have to be about religion. You can find yourself in an abusive relationship, a secular setting, a religious setting, in any setting, once you begin to recognize this is abusive, work towards escaping, reach out for help. In other words, don't stay in an abusive situation any longer than you have to. And once you have recognized it for yourself, be honest with yourself and don't let go of that. That's the power to trust yourself and to get out. All right, as always, we have some amazing interviews coming up. Uh, next week, we have the guys from Beyond Atheism, Nathan and Todd. They have a fantastic podcast I want you to check out. They are part of the Atheist United group. They definitely take an introspective approach to what it is like to be an atheist and what our atheist community is like. After that, we have Arlene interviewing a couple, Ben and Anch. And after that, we have Jessica Moore, who will talk about purity culture and her own personal experience. Until then, my name is David, and I am trying to be the Graceful Atheist. Join me and be graceful human beings. Time for the footnotes. The beat is called Waves from Mackay Beats. Links will be in the show notes. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can promote it on your social media. You can subscribe to it in your favorite podcast application, and you can rate and review it on podchaser.com. You can also support the podcast by clicking on the affiliate links for books on gracefulatheist.com. If you have podcast production experience and you would like to participate with the podcast, please get in touch with me. Have you gone through a faith transition and do you need to tell your story? Reach out. If you are a creator or work in the deconstruction, deconversion, or secular humanism spaces and would like to be on the podcast, just ask. If you'd like to financially support the podcast, there's links in the show notes. To find me, you can Google Graceful Atheist. You can Google deconversion. You can Google secular grace. 
You can send me an email, gracefulatheist at gmail.com, or you can check out the website, gracefulatheist.com. My name is David, and I am trying to be the Graceful Atheist. Join me and be graceful human beings. This has been the Graceful Atheist Podcast.